You're listening to the Globig International Expansion Podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Anka Corbin, the founder and CEO of Globig. So today's hot topic is how the U.S. election results may impact international trade, and to just give us some insights into the process and what to expect. I'd like to give a warm welcome to Susan Cohn-Ross. She's a partner at Mitchell Silberg and Nupp, where she chairs the International Trade Practice Group, which focuses on customs and international trade, transportation, FDA, export licensing, corporate compliance and governance, and import-export issues, Just and along with antitrust corp, anti corruption and other trade compliance concerns. And she's also the chair of MSK Cybersecurity and Privacy Protection Practice Group, which assists clients in implementing privacy and system preventative policies and procedures. Um, Also provides breach resolution and system. Sue is an amazing woman on a number of boards and councils and has truly been working in this area for many years. Um, We are so excited and thankful to have you, Sue. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for the opportunity, Anka. Great to see you again. It is. So this is this was obviously a very heated um, election, and one of the areas that people are on very very differing sides are are related to trade. So what are some of the hot buttons that you see this upcoming administration looking to change or address first? Well, let me start by saying there, there's been a lot of uh, angst about what's going to happen, and I think we, we ought to start with business will continue, product will begin, will continue to flow. The dynamics around all of that really are the open questions. So we've heard a lot of sort of grand pronouncements, but it's important to remember that In all of these campaigns, Republicans swing one way and Democrats swing the other way to satisfy their bases. The difference with this election is you had one candidate with a lot of very detailed policies and another candidate with very little in the way of detailed policy. And I think that's a lot of what's causing the concern. So to directly answer your question, we know that there have been uh, pronouncements, I'll use that word, Uh, made that there'll be a wall built with Mexico, that NAFTA will be revoked, Um, there's TPP to talk about, there's TTIP to talk about. So let's start with, there is a provision in NAFTA which does permit any party, so that could be Canada, the U.S., or Mexico, to withdraw from the agreement on six months' notice. Whether that provision, which is, I think, Article 2205, if I'm recall correctly, whether that provision will be invoked is a huge open question. And even if the intention of the new Trump administration is to do so, you have to ask the question, how quickly would they actually think about doing that? Beyond that, you have uh, immigration issues, uh, but we look at it from a different perspective, which is the ability of the companies to attract the attention they need to. That's a huge issue for Silicon Valley, which here in California is a major player in the trade field and in the innovation field. So that's a concern. Um, TPP seems, at least for the moment, to be pretty much dead in the water. TTIP probably got um, the first stages of its demise with the Brexit vote in, in the UK. So there's a lot on the table. There's a lot of trade wars that could occur. Uh, but I don't think we really know with any degree of certainty what's going to happen or when it might happen, if it indeed even happens. So the provision for the articles is that you can p- 
pull out within a six month period. What is the process for renegoti- renegotiating? Um, is well, there a provision for that specifically? So, so there's a, a common perception that when the deal was negotiated in 93, that was the end of the negotiations. And in fact, there have been ongoing negotiations, certainly at the customs level between the three countries. The, the concept of renegotiation in the broader term that you're raising it would suggest that we are going to sit down with Mexico and Canada and literally attempt to change the deal in some fundamental ways. And while we certainly could ask for that, and there have been noises made about maybe we should even pre the Trump campaign, you have to remember that if we come to the table and say, these are the five things we want to change, you can bet that the Canadians are going to come to the table and the Mexicans are going to come to the table and they're going to say, here's our seven things we want to change. So this isn't just a question that we get to walk in the door and say, we're wonderful, terrific, and you're going to give us everything we want. If we're going to end up renegotiating an existing trade agreement, then we're going to have to give some things in order to get some things. And that's true in any negotiation. How long do these negotiations typically take? I just want to make sure people understand that this doesn't just happen at a cocktail party on a weekend, right? It, it absolutely does not. I, I think the, the best example, uh, the, mo- the most recent example um, of, of the attempt is, of course, the, the, the dough around that eventually led to the TPP, and that went on for 10 plus years. Now, admittedly, that was with, I think it's 12 countries, um, and the NAFTA only involves three. But you also have to remember that our, our economies are much more integrated uh, amongst the three countries because we've been partners in NAFTA for so long. So the issues that are going to get raised are going to be contentious. And while they may not take 10 plus years, it's not going to be a year. It's not going to be two. So from the perspective of we're going to withdraw from the agreement because we can't negotiate it, that's a more likely outcome just in terms of something that could be done quickly. I'm not suggesting it is an outcome that would occur. So should that, that seems to be the most extreme outcome, if possible, what would that do to the economy? What sort of things would that impact? Like, why are these trade deals so important in the first place? Well, I don't want to talk politics, but it's, it's really important to sort of put this all into context. There are two studies, one done by Princeton University and the other one done by Ball State, both of which have addressed the loss of manufacturing jobs. And and they pretty much echo what other studies have shown, which is that the loss of manufacturing in the sense that we've traditionally thought about it in the US is the result of globalization and automation. And neither of those is going away anytime soon. So to suggest that by renegotiating a trade deal, we're somehow going to change that dynamic Um, is an amateurish, if I can use that word without offending anybody, it's an amateurish view of the world. And so if we're going to talk about things that are going to change the world, then we have to really talk first and foremost, what should the role of the U.S. be in the world? And, you know, to try to answer your question a little bit more directly, if we were to start to renege on a trade agreement, It's like you're making a deal with your neighbor down the block. The next time they sit down to you to want to talk about something, you're always going to be suspicious about whether they're really negotiating with you in good faith. 
Um, and that's given the, the really serious problems in the world, and, and you can you can look at any number of them, starting with Syria and North Korea, Iran, and the, and the nuclear deal, and a bunch of others. Um, it, it's not a good position for the U.S. to be in in terms of uh, having its leadership called into question. Now, all of that having been said, we still need to deal with the loss of manufacturing jobs, and there are a wide variety of ways to do that, which are more in the labor field than in the trade field. But from the perspective of what could happen, so first and foremost, you have this issue of our two closest trading partners and our reneging on a deal that everybody has come to rely on because the concept behind NAFTA was the integration of all three economies. And you see that with most major American corporations. They all have operations in Mexico. They all have operations in Canada. They're moving cargo around. They're moving goods around. They're moving people around. If we were to renege on that trade deal, you can bet that one of the first things that would happen is both Canada and Mexico would bring a variety of trade remedy cases at the World Trade Organization. We would be challenged over the ways in which we were doing things. And sometimes we're successful at the WTO and sometimes we're not. And when we're not, and you know, let's understand these cases take two, three years to get resolved. So if we're not, what happens is then the winning party, so let's say it's Canada, would have the ability to uh, create additional tariffs on U.S. goods. So let's just pick the auto industry. And we understand that in places like Michigan and Ohio, there have been the losses of jobs from the auto and other what, what would be viewed as, as key manufacturing industries. So one of the things you could see, easily see Canada doing, and the same would be true of Mexico, actually, would be that now there would be, if you will, a sort of a surcharge or an additional duty, a penalty, if you will, uh, assessed on auto parts going from the U.S. to Canada or the U.S. to Mexico. So now you've, you've actually disadvantaged the U.S. companies in terms of their product being more expensive. And that is how the damage that would have been caused by the reneging on the trade deal or whatever the other uh, complaint is that the either Canada or Mexico would have would be remedied. They would get to impose additional duty on American products coming into their countries. Right. So no one really wins in this renegotiation or this situation. What do you think are some of the other impacts to U.S. companies that are trading abroad within this negotiation process or if we choose to back out of any of these? What, obviously, increased pricing, some sort of a tariff. What are some of the other things that the countries may impose to um, somewhat penalize, if you will, the U.S. for reneging? So there's really a couple of other sort of well-used trade remedies that might come up. Um, one is anti-dumping duty, and the second one is quotas. So anti-dumping duty arises where the claim is that the product is being sold into a market at less than the cost to manufacture it. Now, understand, I'm not suggesting that any of these would be implemented or that if brought uh, an anti-dumping claim would be successful, but I could certainly see this happening in every country has anti-dumping rules and every country has a bias in its system to protect domestic industry. So you could see that happening. The other possibility would be we used to have, particularly in the textile area, quotas. Um, and so these would be quantitative quotas where a certain uh, volume, typically either dozens for finished goods or pounds for uh, fabric 
would be imposed. And so you could see that happening. And the other thing you could see happening would be <coughs> to, so, <coughs> excuse me, um, questions in the non-tariff barrier area. So for example, uh, standards. You know, we have accepted the, the European standard um, because it's pretty close to the American standard. The Europeans could all of a sudden say, well, it's now too different. And so your UL standard, for example, is no longer acceptable for us for our CE standard. So there are a variety of different ways in which American products could be disadvantaged, uh, which of course comes back to the jobs issue, which is which much of this election was all about. Would you assume that for global companies that are trading in the US, the reverse would then be true in that we would be getting tariffs and penalized on our goods expanding into other countries as well. Oh yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and, and you know, the, the latest illustration, I mean, nobody wants to talk about China, uh, but you know, the, the last time we saw one of these uh, uh, efforts made was on the, the passenger tires coming out of China. And so the US went through its process, imposed the additional duties, the surcharge, and then the Chinese turned around and they identified key products that were made in key districts for members of Congress uh, and retaliated. And so, yeah, I would expect that that's what would happen, that American companies would be disadvantaged in terms of being able to, to place their goods in the global markets that they're currently trading in. One of the areas that the Obama administration was really interested in was certainly in the technology and technology trade area. The conversation is that this administration may not be quite as interested in that, mostly because they haven't supported the ideas and the, you know, the um, the values, if you will, of, of the, the, the new upcoming uh, administration. Do you see that technology will take a back burner, especially you had mentioned some visas and certain things like that? I know that there's concern in Silicon Valley and everywhere about the the um, in visa situation because there's already a challenge in getting enough people in, you know, to do these jobs. Right. Well, I think that that's a reasonable expectation to worry about. I just don't know that we're going to have a sense of it. Um, there's a specific type of visa. I know I was talking to, to a couple of my partners here yesterday. There's a particular type of visa available under NAFTA that if we revoke the agreement would no longer be available. You have what I think you're referring to as the H2, uh, H2B visas, or HB2, right. I forget which it is, um, which are often used uh, in, in the technology field. Uh, there was a, a recent program here in Los Angeles that you and I first met at where someone was speaking about uh, they, this particular company was in the biomed field, and, and the point this woman was making was, look, we look for the best talent regardless of where it's located. And if it, that no longer becomes an option, then you have to start looking at the question of what does that do uh, relative to the development of the companies and the industries in which the U.S. has been a world leader. And certainly biomed and technology are two of those. Uh, so there is reason to be concerned uh, that it will not only change how companies do business, but the talent that they can attract. Mm -hmm. What else are you finding to be really hot topics and, and things that people are concerned? Are there other areas of things that I haven't asked you about? What, you know, what do you want to share with our listeners that we haven't really discussed yet? Well, I think the other interesting issue is uh, in the intellectual property rights area. And this kind of cuts across all of the industries. Um, 
there was a, a recent move in which the person who was in charge of the copyright office was moved sideways and then resigned. Now, this, of course, is pre-Trump, so it, it doesn't necessarily apply directly. But the question is, what will this administration's attitude be relative to protection of intellectual property rights? And it's not as esoteric a topic as one might think. Um, this administration, the current one, became very concerned about IP rights when counterfeit products started to show up in the military supply chain. We've heard from the nominee, uh, President-elect, that he wants to strengthen the military. So how much in the way of um, resources will be paid or, or, or used to protect IP rights? How friendly will that enforcement regime be to, for example, the motion picture industry, which is big in California? Um, what will the tax structure be for American companies? Uh, there's been a lot of criticism of a, a handful of well-known American companies that are viewed as taking advantage of the tax haven in, uh, in Ireland. Uh, will they continue to be pilloried? Uh, how friendly will this administration be to Wall Street, uh, where for much of the American uh, public, there's a question about accountability. Uh, so I think there's a, a variety, and I did say I wasn't going to talk politics, so for, pardon me for that lapse. Uh, th there are a variety of issues more broadly than just the trade issue, although that's the big one that everybody's talking about right now. So I, I think the question is to, to look over the next, I think it's 76 or 77 days, and see what are the names that are being floated for a variety of positions and, and what is known publicly about the positions of those individuals um, in a variety of uh, key points for business generally, so tax, immigration, and trade being the top three. Mm -hmm. How can people stay informed? What are the best ways to pay attention? Because I would imagine this is changing daily. We're already getting some insights as to kind of the, the cabinet or at least the, the, the nominees that are being considered. So how right. can we pay attention to this, especially specific to internationalization and going global and business trade? So the place to start is to decide how much minutia you want to be involved with. If you want to know absolutely everything that's going on, then there are a number of publications um, that come out of DC and Roll Call is one of them, uh, Politico is another, uh, certainly CNN and Fox and MSNBC are all covering these to various degrees of, of uh, detail. If what you're really looking for is a more, uh, a calmer view of the whole thing, um, and I use that word advisedly, um, any of the, the major uh, traditional news outlets are certainly providing uh, or can be expected to provide information. The, the other places would be sort of the traditional things we've always looked for, which is what is the Department of Commerce putting out. Um, you know, we didn't talk today, for example, about uh, the whole reform of the export uh, process, uh, the licensing process, and a lot of that was done by executive order. Uh, will the, the current, will the new administration carry on with the actions of the existing administration? to make it easier, uh, and I don't mean that, it, that there aren't controls there, but to make the process easier for American companies that are looking to export. Uh, and this is not just in the high-tech area, this could be aerospace, it could be military, it could be what are called dual use or both military and civilian products. Uh, so 
the Department of Commerce, the U.S. Trade Representative, sort of the traditional, relatively nonpartisan um, sources are out there. Uh, we're covering it on my blog, which is uh, CanadaUSblog.com. Uh, my law firm is going to be covering it as well uh, to a certain degree. So that'll be on our website, which is uh, www.msk.com. Um, and then, you know, just kind of checking the headline services on whatever your news source is that's your choice um, and, and recognizing that a lot of this is just names are getting floated, things are getting said. Um, None of this is settled until somebody is actually nominated or there's an actual policy put out. And none of that is going to happen uh, until the swearing-in occurs on, I think it's the 21st of January. Right. Coming up very quickly, though. So, yep. So all of these resources we'll put onto Globig and we'll also um, link to your blog and feature any sort of updated blog articles that are related to this topic to make sure that people are in the know. Can we reach back out to you and as things start rolling, we can get a sense of, all right, so now what? <laughs> How is this sure. going to actually impact um, all of our companies and, and you know what should they prepare for? So for now, I imagine holding still and just paying attention is probably the best course of action and just staying informed. But uh, at some point, there are going to be really specific actions that companies are going to need to take. Um, I'm assuming yeah, that you I, I think that that's that's exactly right. It, it's you know hold the for hold the, hold the course, pay attention to what's going on, um, and just continue to to do business and, and recognize that we really don't know what the changes are going to to be, what what response will be needed until we see some kind of a policy statement. So I agree with you. That was a good summary. It's very similar to Brexit that we just went through, and it's the same yeah. situation. We will learn more as information starts coming out, and even there, there's years before we have very, very specific details on how it will impact everyone. So same situation here, but certainly helpful to understand what that process looks like and the kind of the signals, if you will, to try to read into where it might be going. Exactly. I agree with you. All right. Well, Sue, I want to thank you so very much for joining us today on the Globig International Expansion Podcast. I look forward to speaking to you again and staying in the loop. Please send us updated information, anything that you want us to share uh, with our listeners. Again, join us next time for another fantastic podcast on international expansion. This is Arvind Corbin, hoping that you all go well.